Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy continues his study in Revelation. You say to me, Pastor, are we living in the last days? We've been living in the last days for 1,900 years. The stage is being set. Jesus could come at any moment. I hope you believe that, and I hope that belief affects your behavior. I don't know if this is the end of the world, but I'll tell you what, it seems to me you can see it from where we're at. If it's true that the last days are near, how come we've been waiting for generations to see the prophecy of our Lord's return fulfilled? That's the relevant question posed today as we continue our study in the book of Revelation called You've Got Mail. Welcome to Know the Truth, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Philip DeCourcy. You can share today's program with a friend by directing them to ktt.org. There they can catch up on this message and other lessons from this series. But let's continue now with Philip as he concludes a lesson titled, Back to the Future. Let's remind ourselves, as we stated, the revelation of Jesus Christ is prophetic in nature. It is the Word of God through the living Word, Jesus Christ, according to verse 2. And by nature and character, it is a prophecy, according to verse 3. Now, the interesting thing is this. We're told by John from Christ that the bulk of this book focused on the future and the events that are detailed in it are soon to take place. Okay, look at verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. We're told that the time is near. Now, what does that mean? After all, we're more than 1,900 years since the writing of this book. I want you to focus in verse 3. We're told to keep the things which are written in this prophecy, for the time is at hand. Very important that you circle the word time there. It's a Greek word, karos. It's not the usual word for time, chronos. And you can guess what the word chronos means, chronology, chronicle. 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock. That's chronos time. Karos time are those turning points in history that affect the direction of Kronos time. And that's why it's very significant. This idea here carries the idea of a season. The season is near. It it, it speaks of, of turning points in world history. There are some moments that affect the rest of the moments, and that's what we have here. John says here that there's going to come a time in the future, a Kairos moment. The book of the Revelation, therefore, introduces us to the end time. That which God began in Genesis, he finishes in Revelation. Listen, this is not an abandoned world. Things are on course. The book tells us we're going to see things like we're seeing. They may be very prophetically significant, or they simply may be shadows and gleams of that which is yet to happen. Steve Brown, in his book, Jumping Hurdles, talks about driving home one day when his eye spotted the ugliest car in the world. 
It had a large gash on its side. Its doors were half hanging on, wired together. The muffler was loose. The sunroof was all a mess. The paint was faded and peeling. But he says the most striking thing about the car was this. There was a, there was a plaque on it which said, this is not an abandoned car. <laughs> I tell you, you look here, you look there. You look at tumbling marriages, we see the rise and specter of homosexuality. We see the culture of the days of Lot and Noah. But this is not an abandoned world. This is not an abandoned world. The time is near. Brings us back to this thought. But in what sense can it be said to be near? If 1900 years has passed and we're still looking I think we can get a handle if we take near to mean next. Near must mean next. Write those things which you saw, the risen Christ. Write those things which are the present time. And then write those things which will happen thereafter. After what? After the church age. Maybe as we get into this series, you're going to see the absence of the church on earth after Revelation chapter 4. The church is in heaven. And after the church age, we have the rapture, the tribulation, the rise of the Antichrist, the purging of Israel, and the return and reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all next. You say to me, Pastor, are we living in the last days? We've been living in the last days for 1,900 years. (laughs) Now, we may be living in the last of the last days, but you and I need to grasp that. Let me give you a couple of verses. I think we'll show you that. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. I think you've got the grasp, the significance of the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down the right hand of the majesty on high. All of Old Testament prophecy looked forward to that first coming. The first coming has taken place. Christ is building his church. We don't know how long he's going to take to build it. But once it is built, once um, his reign and hearts have been established among the redeemed from out of every tongue, tribe, and nation, once that's done, then this season will trigger. We are already in the twilight shortly before the sunrise. Paul puts it like this. The night is far spent, but the day is at hand. See, what we must bear in mind is that although Christ's coming is next and therefore near, it may be delayed to a point where people begin to question its very validity. In fact, Peter picks that very theme up, doesn't he? In 2 Peter chapter 3, 
Verse 4, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they will willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens of old and the earth, standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed, perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are preserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of godly men. Beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish. Peter tells us in verse 3 that the scoffers will come in the last days. Where is the promise of his coming? I thought you said it was going to be next and near. Still is. Still is. Which brings us to the speed of Christ's return and future events. We're told in verse 1 that these things will soon or shortly or quickly take place. The word here can mean the events themselves, when they happen, will happen quickly in rapid succession. And that's the view of some. As a thief in the night, the Lord will come and act swiftly. So that may be the meaning. It's not so much that the coming is sudden. The coming may be delayed, but when it comes, the events surrounding it will happen suddenly quickly. This is a Greek word, technos, from which we get our word technometer. As a thief, the Lord will come and act swiftly. I mean, thieves don't hang around, right? They're in and out as quickly as their feet will take them. It's a thought, but it's, I think it misses the mark. I think the more natural reading is that Jesus is coming quickly, soon. His return and the events surrounding it will take place soon. Because a thief not only acts swiftly, a thief arrives suddenly. That's the point. And I think you'll find that's how it's used in chapter 2 and verse 16 as as Jesus addresses uh, the church at Pergamum. You'll find it's used that way in chapter 3 verse 11 as Jesus addresses the church at Philadelphia. Hey, you guys need to shape up because I'm about to ship you out and I'm coming quickly. Again, you'll find that thought throughout chapter 22 as Jesus declares, I'm coming quickly. I think that means I'm coming soon. This is what we call imminence. If something is imminent, it means it could happen soon but not necessarily. It's like an overhanging reality. That's the idea here. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is imminent. That means that it doesn't necessarily need to happen the next second, but could happen at any second. And that's the kind of tension you and I are meant to live in. Jesus is coming soon. You say, the next minute, no, any moment. And many hours may pass, many days may pass, many years may pass, but that reality is still true. He could come at any moment, maybe the next moment, but not necessarily the next moment. That's the speed of Christ's return. Jesus could come at any moment. I hope you believe that, and I hope that belief affects your behavior. I hope the second coming to you is not just a curiosity about prophetic facts and figures. Robert Murray McShean, another Scottish divine and theologian, was once talking to a group of ministers over supper one night in his home. 
And he posed the question, do you think Jesus could come tonight, brothers? And as he went round the room, some shook their heads, others kind of danced around the issue. And Mary McShane then quoted Matthew chapter 24, 40 or 44 in the words of Jesus Christ, the very verse that brought me to saving knowledge of Christ in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. In fact, let me spend a few minutes here just reinforcing that. More than any other generation, ours may be seeing the stage set for the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wrote a few of these down to myself. I'm not going to get into these in any great detail, but you know what? You and I in our generation have witnessed what some call the super sign, the rebirth of the nation of Israel. Basically, this nation was smashed to smithereens in AD 70, temple destroyed, its peoples carried away and dispersed. And yet, in 1948, they were recognized as a nation again. In fact, some prophetic scholars argue that when Jesus speaks about the fig tree budding, he may indeed, by implication, be speaking about Israel because Israel is often presented as the fig tree in the Old Testament. In my mind, this is the most important prophetic event of the last century. We're also seeing the mobilizing of a federation of European states. We're seeing the emergence of a revived Roman Empire. What did we see earlier in Daniel 9? The prince to come, the Antichrist, will arise from among the people who destroyed the sanctuary. Who destroyed the sanctuary? The Romans. Today we're talking about euro dollars, a euro parliament, the establishment of the United States of Europe, trading block. Prophetically significant, I think so. We've got globalization going on. We've got computers and communications that are worldwide. In Revelation 13, we're told that the Antichrist will, will govern the world markets. That, that seemed impossible. Not so impossible to us, huh? We've got the worldwide preaching of the gospel. Jesus said that must happen in Matthew 24, 14. The gospel is being spread. The church is growing in so many areas of the world. And yet, interestingly, because this is another prophecy, we're also seeing uh, a great apostasy in the church. We read about that in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 3, that the man of sin cannot be revealed until first there's a great falling away. We're told in 1 Timothy about those who in the last days will want their ears to be itched and tickled. They will not endure sound doctrine. They won't sit under 45 minutes of expositional preaching. It'll be sermonettes for Christianettes. <laughs> and it's sad. And even if there is preaching, it's not doctrinal. It's how to fix your family. It's how to fix yourself. It's how to love yourself, to nurture that inner child. It's not about union with Christ and the great doctrines of justification and the explanation of the Trinity and the incarnation significance and all those things that have marked the church throughout the ages and sets it apart from other world religions. Friends, these are dangerous days. The stage is being set. And we look at our culture, and some of us are very exercised about it, and rightly so. 
We're told in um, 2 Timothy 3 and verses 1 through 9 that the, the last days will be terrible times. The word terrible can mean valent or hard. Men will be lovers of themselves, disobedient to their parents. It's not that these things haven't been here because there's nothing new under the sun, but the velocity is different. And that's the whole image, isn't it? And Jesus says that the world will be in travail like a woman. And the ladies know when those pains and contractions come with greater velocity and greater frequency, it's time to get in the car. And we're seeing these things happen in such a scale with such velocity. Are we in the terminal generation? To be honest, I don't know. Maybe. But like those living in the peninsula of Michigan, the finger of Michigan, they'll tell you that it's not the end of the world, but they can see it from there. I don't know if this is the end of the world, but I'll tell you what, it seems to me you can see it from where we're at. That's the proximity of this prophecy. It takes us for five minutes to the profitability of this prophecy. Just a closing thought, verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy, who hear it, read it, and keep it. There's a treat in store to those who take time to master this book and be mastered by it. This is not a burdensome book. This is a blessed book. This is a book to encourage young Christians to read. This isn't a book to encourage all Christians to read. This is one of seven Beatitudes. And we're told here that although all Scripture is profitable, this book is the only book that comes with a, an accompanied blessing. doesn't mean the other books aren't profitable, but in some way, God is setting this book apart because it holds a particular blessing. It's God's last word about the last days. There's something intriguing about that, isn't it? The last book of the Bible, God's last word about the last days. We need to read it. What might we get from it? It'll help us gain a perspective on history. We'll not panic so much. We'll realize that history is his story. It will give suffering value. If you're suffering for Christ, then realize that great will you be your reward in heaven. Be faithful if need be unto death, and you'll win the crown of life. That's one of the promises. This book gives suffering value. There is reward for being faithful. It feeds a steadfast hope. We've always got something to look forward to. That's what hope is. It's something in the future that you're moving towards. It keeps you moving. It puts one foot in front of the other. And does not the second coming of Jesus Christ give us a hope? It stokes our evangelism. There is a second death, and many of our friends and many of our families are going to experience it if we don't get the gospel to them. If we don't share the redeeming work of Jesus Christ and how he is the truth, the life, and the way to God. There is the great white throne when the books will be opened. And those whose name is not in the books of life will be cast into the darkness. It triggers worship. You'll find songs all over the book of the Revelation. The background music to the book of the Revelation is a worshiping throng in heaven calling upon us to continue to worship God. And it persuades against sin. 
God is coming in judgment. The Bible is God's early edition on tomorrow's news. Read it. Keep it. Hear it. Because you know what? The church needs to shape up because Jesus is about to ship us out. Oh God, we come this day and we thank you for the call to consider that day. Oh God, we thank you for this book, the book of the Revelation, the Bible's early edition on tomorrow's news. We thank you it shows us where history is headed. It shows us what will determine the destinies of men. And it calls us to awake out of our sleep. It calls us to be faithful to your church that someday you're going to snatch away and take us to the judgment seat of Christ and prepare us for the marriage seat of the Lamb. Oh God, if there's service to be done, we need to do it. If there's giving to be given, we need to give it. If there's time to be invested, we need to invest it. Oh God, we want to be a city set on a hill here. Help us to make some noise in this community. Help us indeed to build your work here to be found faithful and ready for that season and that soon return of Jesus at the end of the age. Oh God, if there are those in our meeting who do not know you, who have never bowed the knee to Christ, never confessed him with their mouth and believed on him with their heart, Help them to know that if anything, they're living on the tail end of history. They're living in significant days. They must see that the world is changing, not for the better, but every revolution brings us to that great revolution of Jesus Christ. May they close in with your offer of mercy. And those of us who know you, oh, may we give thanks to him who loved us and cleansed us from our sins and made us a kingdom of priests unto God. For we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, amen. There's nothing more important than understanding what Revelation says about the coming of the Lord. And that's our subject for the next several weeks here on Know the Truth with Bible teacher Philip DeCourcy. You can hear today's program again when you visit us online at ktt.org or on the KTT app. Just search for the message titled, Back to the Future, from the You've Got Mail series. Some people find sharing the gospel intimidating or maybe even frightening, but with the Lord's return more imminent than it's ever been, it's important that we share the gospel with a world in need of truth. And that's what we do each day here on Know the Truth, through clear and convicting Bible teaching on the radio and internet. And this month, we've picked out a practical resource designed to help our listeners reach those around them with the truth of the gospel. It's a book titled, Authentic Influencer, The Barnabas Way of Shaping Lives for Jesus. Every follower of Jesus can be inspired, instructed, and mobilized to influence the world from right where they are. And Authentic Influencer is a Christian leadership book that highlights 15 key principles that emerge from Barnabas that are relevant, practical, and customizable to every believer. So request this book and be inspired to shape those around you for Christ. It's yours with a gift of any amount to know the truth. Call 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. You can also send your check to Know the Truth, 
Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. And thank you. We're so grateful for your support that makes it possible for listeners across the globe to hear the gospel. One more thing before you go. If you'd like to stay up to date with timely news, events, and encouraging content from Know the Truth, then connect with us on social media. You'll find us on most major platforms when you search for Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Join us again tomorrow when Philip continues his study in Revelation titled, You've Got Mail. That will be right here, Tuesday, on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Mm -hmm.